Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the amazing Sarah Knight, the New York Times best-selling author of the No Fucks Given Guides. You probably recognise them. They are in pretty much every airport all over the world. They are very motivating and full of tough love. I've wanted to get Sarah on the podcast for so long. It's been quite impossible because she lives in the Dominican Republic. So uh, we could have done it over Skype, but it was so nice to meet her finally in person in London. Before releasing and writing her own books, Sarah spent 15 years as a top editor in New York, working with some incredible authors such as Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl, and Jessica Knowles, who wrote uh, Luckiest Girl Alive. Sarah's books are full of honest advice, giving all of her tips on setting goals, boundaries, mental health, saying no, making big decisions, and getting organised. Her first book, which caught the world by storm, was called The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. And then she released Get Your Shit Together, then You Do You, and now her fourth book, which is out, is called Calm the Fuck Down, which is all about dealing with anxiety. She really has a cult following of people who love her books and her books have changed people's lives. And I think it's that very honest approach of just being really upfront, um, obviously, with lots of swearing. We talk in this episode about her decision to quit publishing, how she knew when the right time was to go and launch her own series of books, why she moved to the Dominican Republic from New York, and just loads of really interesting, no bullshit pieces of advice about how to not care what people think. And I feel like it's so hard to do. But Sarah's books can set you off on the right path and really help people not care so much about people pleasing all the time. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I really loved meeting Sarah and recording this one. So let me know what you think. Please leave a rating or a review on iTunes. It helps people discover the podcast. And I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. And here it is. So welcome to Control Alt Delete Sarah Knight. Thank you so much for having me. Seeing as this is the first time we've met and I've been wanting to talk to you for so long, I wondered if we could go back to the beginning quickly about your first book because that was just the start of this crazy journey for you, wasn't it? And then the TED Talk, which had like 5 million viewers and it's just this kind of cult following it, you've it got now. It is a now. bit of a cult now. Yeah. Having now met some fans in person after my events this week, I, I feel... I feel like I might be a leader yes, of some sort. The antique sweary leader. Yes. Yes. Um, so obviously the first book, The Life Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, mm-hmm. that was sort of linked to the Marie Kondo title, right? And yes. she's having a resurgence now as well, which she is very is. interesting. And it's good for me. <laughs> um, so it was 2015 when I quit my corporate job. I was a book editor. I had been a book editor in New York City for about 15 years. And I was very good at it. It was very successful. And I really enjoyed the work itself. But I did not enjoy working for an office, you know, in an office for a corporate environment with bean counters and people who weren't letting me make my own decisions and watering down, focus grouping everything to death. And uh, it all culminated in me leaving that job which was a huge risk and challenge and it was terrifying and I said I'm gonna go freelance and be on my own and at the, around the same time 
the Marie Kondo book had been out for a little while and it was, you know, writing the bestseller lists. And I had actually gotten a copy from her publisher to give to my mother, but it didn't seem very nice. Every time I wanted to send it to my mother, I thought this is passive aggressive (laughs) because she really needs to learn how to tidy up. So I've ended up packing up my office and, you know, quitting my job and leaving. And I had this book and so I brought it home with me and I said, well, now I'm going to read it because I have all this time now to read books because now I'm not editing other people's books night and day. And I read it and I just, it just something clicked in my head where I said, you know, what she's talking about is unburdening yourself from stuff. And I was feeling so unburdened by having, um, you know, made some really big decisions and changed my life in such a significant way. And I thought, you know, I could do this for your mind, not your closet. And the idea for, you know, for a parody came about and then it just kind of took on a life of its own. And now it spawned the whole series of no fucks given guides, none of which have anything to do with Marie Kondo after the first one, but it, it set the, it set the stage. So I thank her for her inspiration. Genius, isn't it? I mean, it's such a good idea to take something that something that people already have resonated with, but transferring it into another part of your life. I mean, it's so true. I I started this year in January, just thinking what friends, (laughs) well, not friends, but (laughs) what acquaintances are not giving me joy anymore and how can I get rid of them? Um, So I wanted to talk to you quickly about the Ted talk, just because that I felt like that really blew up as well. How was it kind of having such a reaction to that, such a positive reaction it's such a big deal, isn't it, doing one of those talks? It was amazing and gratifying. I have to say, um, you know, I I was invited to do the talk. Um, so it's not like I had to audition. They, they said, we've read your book. The committee's read your book. We just think you're great. Would you be interested in doing this? And it was TEDx Coconut Grove, and it was going to be their fifth year anniversary of doing it. Um, and they have a really good program and it was in Miami, which wasn't a terrible place to get to from the Dominican Republic. And they asked me almost a year in advance and I said, yes, you know, and I thought if I do this well, I'll have some really good video and, you know, at least I'll be able to show people that I'll distill my not sorry method. We'll talk about not giving a fuck and, you know, I'll be able to use that for something. And I did not realize how hard it would be to, um, maybe that sounds naive, but to write the talk to refine the talk, to rehearse it, memorize it, realize where it doesn't sound natural, rewrite it, re-rehearse it. In addition, they had somebody who does all of the graphics and they work with you individually months out. So the whole process was probably about 10 total months of work for 12 minutes of one shot, one chance, you know, one run through, that's it. And, And it was it was really hard and I'm not sure I would do it again. I got invited to do a lot of them after it blew up and people said, Oh, can you come do a Ted talk here? Can you come do one here? Um, and I just thought I, you know, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead on this, but they were a great program. Um, the video obviously came out really, really well. And it had this kind of slow burn, you know, the first week it was the views were counting up, Oh, 200 people, 400 people. And I thought, well, that's great. You know, if we can hit like 5,000, that'd be so cool. And then suddenly it just, took off and we're over 5 million views now so it's amazing it's good to know though when things take so much planning you know sometimes things look easy and you make it look easy when you're up there doing your talk but these things me and half a Xanax (laughs) (laughs) makes it look easy but with your books and also you as a person and this sort of personal brand that you've got going is very much one of confidence and and someone who can take on the world and that's what you give to your readers I have realized recently with me the more confident I get I feel like the less likable I am sometimes I don't know if that's something that 
well i tweet actually tweeted that recently and it got loads of retweets and i was like okay i'm not alone in this <laughs> um do you ever feel like that do you ever feel like you know women are made to feel like they need to squash themselves a bit and actually not squashing yourself sometimes people can be a little bit um intimidated intimidated is the word so i don't really i just don't care anymore whether people like me i i am who i am i think i'm pretty awesome i'm entertaining i'm funny i'm smart but I understand that I rub some people the wrong way and I just don't care. I cared when I was 18. I cared when I was 25. Um, I don't care anymore. But the intimidating word is the word because I don't think often it's not about whether you like a woman. It's about whether you are intimidated by her. And this is this goes for other women and also for men. And the way you react makes it seem like you don't like that person. But really the, the feeling of dislike is starts with being intimidated. And I've said that. Um, a few times about certain people, professional acquaintances and also just some, you know, people in my, my new life where I'm like, yeah, I don't think, um, I don't think we're, we're going to get along too well because he or she seems really intimidated by me and I don't give a fuck. Yes. And maybe that that person hasn't ever met anyone quite like you. And maybe you are the introduction. Like (laughs) this is what someone's like when they actually don't care and they quite like themselves. Maybe. And Hey, if I can be the Pied Piper of not giving a fuck and, and self-confidence, then that's great. Yeah. I will take on that mantle. <laughs> I mean, it would be a bit weird if you were like, I actually really care that I've written all these books. No, I don't care. <laughs> I really, it's, that is, that was one of the easiest things to let go of was other people's opinions about who I am as a person. Um, there were things that were harder to let go of, you know, really identifying so strongly with my career and having worked so hard to claw my way to the top and to abandon that felt like I was, it, it didn't sit right with me for a while after I did it. I just felt like I had, um, I had pulled the plug on something really, uh, that I'd worked so hard for, but, but the, the personal kind of, Oh yeah, I don't care what other people think of me. That was an easy thing to adopt. Mm. So maybe I was already partway there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe your books are the, the final push people need sometimes as well. I wondered, I mean, with your books, they are so popular and every airport in the world, I swear, they're there. And if you looked at the cover, you might think that they're one dimensional, but they're actually very nuanced when you read them. Thank for, you. For example, <laughs> um, the new book, Calm the Fuck Down, you are very uh, warm and it, your voice is very understanding and you're not saying, oh, everything will be fine. Just calm down. You're actually saying, I understand that that could be the worst thing someone can say, but here's <laughs> what you can do. Do you think that sometimes people might without reading them be like well I think it's good to care and you know just taking it the wrong way before reading them properly I'm sure that some people think that and and you know it's unfortunate that they will then not buy a copy um, which would be rewarding to me in many ways and also possibly rewarding to them but I think that my publishers and I agree that it is the profanity and the sort of I often get set you know in reviews people say it's like a kick in the ass you know smack in the face in, in a good way um and people typically i think are are attracted by that they stop they look it's funny maybe to them or it's a little unusual and then i try very hard to front load in the first page or two because i know people are downloading kindle samples i know they're standing in a bookstore and and deciding to flip through the book i try really hard on those first pages of each book to explain what you're about to get why you know why it's delivered the way it is and how you should not should be but how how I intend for it to be read and absorbed and I think that tends to put people at ease if they had any if they had any qualms so just read the first page is all I'm saying yes usually I explain myself pretty 
clearly totally on one. <laughs> yes and you definitely get a feel of i'm going to be taken on this journey by someone who is very trusting and very, and someone who yeah is going to be tough love but also understanding which i really love thank you i uh i i say in the book that you know i'm not here to to help you tap into your feelings i'm here to give you the Brutal, emotionless, pragmatic, tough love, as you say, because everybody else in your life is trying to make you feel better by saying, oh, it's going to be okay or it's not so bad. And I'm here to agree with you that um, it is so bad and maybe it won't be okay, but here's how you can get through it. Mm -hmm. And I think that realistic approach is what works for me. So that's what I Yes. That's what I preach. Yes, I love it. Try not to be preachy. <laughs> With the fourth book, this one that's out now, um, was it a no-brainer to do one on anxiety? It feels like it's not a buzzword, but it just feels everywhere right now. And I wondered how you got to this decision of doing a book on it. <laughs> well, um, it was a no-brainer for me that I had more to say about anxiety and could potentially get another entire book about it because I've touched on anxiety in my other books because they are, it is so wrapped up in the other things that I write about. Um, but I felt like it was a single subject book that could that could really appeal. However, some of the people that I speak to, you know, my publishing team, my literary agent, um, were were not as immediately drawn to that idea. And I think it's because they themselves are not particularly anxious and so weren't thinking of it as something they would need. And when I reframed it and said, here's the deal though, it's also a book about making decisions and solving problems. And you can do that on a day-to-day -day basis, but you also need to be able to do it in a high stress situation, a sudden, unexpected, unanticipated, or inevitable approaching situation that you're gonna have to deal with. And for me, anxiety is wrapped up, you know, what I call the what ifs, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this doesn't work? And I'm giving myself stress about something that hasn't even happened yet. Then there are things that already happen. I have the whole shitstorm scale of, you know, outlying imminent and total shitstorms. And um, when I reframed it that way and, and said, well, I want to talk to people like me who really have clinical anxiety, but I also want to talk to people who get anxious about situational things that, that occur and are going to need to know how to deal with them because it happens to all of us. Yes, it really does. And actually, I wasn't expecting um, you to be so honest, I guess, about your move and how even though you are definitely someone with like your shit together, the fact that you moved somewhere where you couldn't like get a pint of milk in the middle of the day and you didn't really know what was going on and everything was very stripped back. Um, I wondered if you could talk a li little bit about that in those first few days and actually how that enabled you, as you say in the book, to calm down a bit. Yeah, I, I needed, I didn't know I needed, but I needed the enforced tranquility of this very small fishing village on the north coast of the Dominican Pro Republic where I moved with my husband. And we had been in Brooklyn. I was there for 15 years. It was very fast paced. It was very stressful. And in addition to leaving my corporate life, we decided we really wanted a, a different slower calmer life but I couldn't outrun my anxiety so when I got to Las Terrenas I there were all these other challenges so it was like yes I can wear a sarong every day and no bra and I can get lots of sun but also um, there are tarantulas and you know and rainstorms mean that that the whole town stops and nothing gets done and so you can't make appointments with anybody because 
it's just not it's not an American or North American or or even Western European mode of thinking. It's a very third world way of thinking where you're at the whim of Mother Nature in flora, fauna, weather, um, and also doing it all in a foreign language. You know, I had to learn Spanish, uh, which is not, you know, my Spanish is now fine. It's not great, but it's it's, it's workable. But the first few months I was living there, it was not. So um, I talk about in the introduction to Calm the Fuck Down how helped me um be forced like exposure therapy almost to not be so hung up on this has to get done at the appointed time and if it doesn't there will be consequences and kind of really dial back my nature to be um to be that sort of type a personality and once I was able to do that um then I could kind of backtrack through my head and think oh how did I do this how did I become okay with this how can I tell other people that they can do it too without having to move to a third world country and learn a new language. And, you know, like there, you can do this if you're just, um, just, you know, living in your flat in London and need to make a change to your life. You can, you can calm the fuck down as well. Yes. So interesting how we adapt in new situations. Cause I find even when like I lost my phone a while ago and it was, you know, Oh my God, I don't have a phone. But the, the, the second day before I got it replaced, my body started calming down mm-hmm. and it's just there's so many demands on our time now isn't there you, you seem like you're very good someone with a lot of boundaries i know physically you're away so you <clears> can turn things down true. or you Makes can it easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you have any advice on that because i think in this time of being constantly accessible online it's really important to say no isn't it yeah i mean that's actually what the next book is going to be about um yes which is literally (laughs) how to say no because i have explained especially in the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck you know how to set boundaries why it's okay for you to set boundaries why you're not a bad person if you want to set boundaries but a lot of people come to me and say okay but how literally how do i decline this job offer this party invitation um this visit to my family how how do i tell them that and so that's that's going to be the next book but that's getting ahead of myself but but i would say that yes i I am good at setting boundaries and i've only become good at that in the last you know four years or so since i started writing these books and valuing my time energy and money my fuck bucks and making my fuck budget and sticking to it and what i've learned is two things one is that we deprive ourselves of boundary setting Um, because we're worried that we're going to upset the person who is on the other side of that boundary. So just for an example, saying no to a party invitation. But really, for like five minutes, that person's going to be like, oh, she could make it. And then they're going to go on about their day. This is not, we are not the center of most people's universe. It is not that big of a deal if you cannot go to somebody's wedding or somebody's retirement party or somebody's whatever. It's just not that big of a deal. And and so if you can bring yourself to try it and then you find out that there are no consequences, then you will be ready to just try it again and again. And so the way that you s- start setting firm boundaries the way I did it is give it a shot. You know, you do have to take that one risky chance, but then in more often than not, way more often than not, you're not going to get in trouble for it. There are not mm-hmm. going to be bad consequences. And so I think that it's partly our own um you know, we're holding ourselves back mm. from, from even trying it. And then the other thing is, do you want somebody to do something for you that you know they don't want to be doing? Mm. So when I think about it that way, if I am getting some pressure from somebody who doesn't like the fact that I politely decline to do something, 
I think to myself, you know, that's their problem because they know I don't want to do it. They know why I don't want to do it. And if they're still going to get butthurt about it and be and and be passive aggressive or or bother me about it, that says more about them than it does about me. So, you know, if you're worried about that sort of thing and about what other people think, you can kind of put it to the opposite and say, well, I wouldn't do that to somebody else. So they shouldn't be doing it to me. And I'm going to stick to my guns. And this is not my problem. This is their problem. I never think about things from that point of view enough. And it's it's really true because if someone's chasing you down or pestering you or putting you in a corner or making you feel awkward, that's actually definitely nothing really to do with you mm-hmm. at all. Especially if you've been honest and polite, which are the underpinnings of the first book, The Not Sorry Method, and it and it um, you know carries through all of the no fucks given guides. It's like I'm not out there advising people to be assholes or sociopaths. Like I'm saying it's okay to live your life the way you want to live it, spend your time, energy, and money the way you want to. And if you cut out some of the more annoying things, then you will have that much more time to spend on all of the stuff that you do love to do, which probably is, you know, with your family, with your friends, with your spouse or partner. Like, it's not as though you're just backing out of life entirely. It's just a matter of not overdrawing your your accounts mm-hmm. um, and in Calm the Fuck Down, I take that that concept of the fuck bucks and I call them f- your freak out funds. And these are the time, energy and money that you spend on a freak out, you know, when a bad thing happens and you could spend them crying and punching the wall um, or you could spend them dealing with the situation at hand. And so that the whole book is really about how to convert um, the time, energy and money that you have to spend on terrible things into, I call it few um, productive, helpful, effective worrying uh, into the best possible outcome for yourself. Yeah, if, you, if it can't I, I be avoided, lo- I just love how practical it is as well. The the way Thank that you. you spell it out, it's very much you can go and do this tomorrow. Um, something that I was thinking when I was reading the book, talking about you know what we spend our time worrying about or thinking about and just time wasted, is I think comparison is a huge thing. Ooh, indeed. And I I find myself just comparing myself to things that I don't even want. <laughs> I like look at someone doing something and I'm, I feel jealous and then I think, but I could do that if I wanted to, but I also don't want to. So where does that come from? I, I think about this a lot just in my capacity as having been a book editor and so having ushered a lot of authors' books into the world mm-hmm. and the advice that I gave them when I was saying, you know, no, don't look at what this other writer is doing. This is not, you know, this is your path. Don't compare yourself to that. I felt very wise and rational when I was giving that advice. And then suddenly I'm an author and I see some other person's book on the table at the bookshelf, you know, at the airport. And I'm like, I just hiss, you know, and I'm getting very riled up about it. Or why did that person get a byline in the New York times? I've been pitching the New York times for years. And, um, and I have to stop and go, it doesn't matter. Your life is your life. You're doing fine. If you're not doing fine, I address this in the second book and get your shit together, then, you know, it's the what, why method for setting goals. What's wrong with my life? Why? That's your goal. So if, so whatever it is that's making you, even if you're legitimately upset or concerned or frustrated, it's not the fault of the person that you're comparing yourself to or the, or the, the notion or the idea that you're comparing yourself to. It's not, it's something that you can address. Um, and so I really, I am, I'm really, I'm learning that, you know, I felt like I could give that advice and now I'm on the other side of it. But a thing that I can, I cannot support is people who continue making themselves feel bad by following really glamorous Instagram accounts and, and then feeling bad about either their body image, 
their home furnishings, their lack of, of sexy vacations. Um, follow other accounts. Follow people who are body positive. Follow people who are kooky and weird. Follow people who Instagram their messy apartment instead of their perfect apartment. Like, mm-hmm. you have a choice. And if you are choosing to punch yourself in the gut every morning by looking at stuff that makes you feel bad about yourself, stop doing it. Like I, ha- I have very little patience for that kind of yes. um, self-sabotage. Oh, a hundred percent. Unfollow anything that makes you Unfollow. Feel. Mute. Because your life, when you probably sit alone by yourself having a cup of tea, you probably th- you're probably more likely to think, oh, things are good right now. But if you're bombarded with someone's, mm-hmm. you know, trip to the Bahamas every day. And I try <laughs> to be, you know, I'm aware that, um, that, I have a somewhat aspirational lifestyle for people who want to live on a tropical island. A lot of people like the mountains. A lot of people like the cold, you know, but I I really try to intersperse because I know that people are following me, you know, because of the books and stuff. And I do have beautiful tropical vistas, but, you know, I also have um, feral trash cats and I also have um, really stupid, goofy faces that I make when I'm out, you know, doing, um, you know, dancing in a Dominican bar. And I have... Um, problems and accidents and and very strange bugs um, that I put out there because I don't want people to think that my life is this expertly curated everything is great everything is perfect because it's not there are daily challenges and um, you know I have to learn how to meet them and, and so do you yeah Definitely. I keep like putting your microphone in my mouth. <laughs> and you recently wrote a really amazing article that I shared with quite a few people about, um, and, and I people listening, I think, are probably creative people in themselves. They might okay. be working on something. And you wrote a brilliant piece about how to bring a book out. No one prepares anyone, I don't think, for that whirlwind. And obviously you've done this so many times now. Do you feel like you're just a bit of a pro and you know what to say yes and no to and I am I am getting pretty good at this I'm not gonna lie um I did have as I said 15 years of experience on one side of it and now I'm in year four of of the author side and the article that you're talking about is called so you're publishing a book and you can find it on medium uh backslash which is my all all over uh social media handle and I just wanted part of it was getting my own stresses out onto the page and I I published it like the same week that my new book was coming out. There were a lot of issues happening in the U.S. with paper supply and binderies closing and people not getting shipments of books out. And it was the kind of news that if I had gotten it without understanding how publishing works and without being somebody who had spent six months writing a book about calming the fuck down, I think I would have lost my mind. I would have sent really freaked out emails you know I would have added to the burden on my editor and my publicist of you know what's going on is my book coming is my book going to come out are we changing the date you know can do you have any copies and it's legitimate it's absolutely legitimate to have those worries but it is the way that you you present them to the world that is going to make the difference between surviving your book publication or any artistic endeavor I mean we could talk about this because you're on the staff of a of a TV show that's about to debut, or we could talk about somebody that's putting an album out into the world. You know, any um, any endeavor like that, there are a lot of things that are just out of your control, and especially as the creator. But the same goes for publicists on one end and editors and publishers. There's only so much you can control, and the stuff that you can't. I I, I thought the piece was um was was very realistic. But as after I read it a couple of times, I thought, well, that might sound very harsh. But I said, you know, there are all kinds of things that can and will go wrong. So the first tip was just to lead with enjoying the good stuff. 
you know, really revel in the fact that you have a book deal or the fact that you got your act together and you self-published and the fact that more than four people are now going to be reading your your work and the fact that you can talk about your book in casual conversation and that you'll see the cover art, you know, on the shelf or on your Kindle and um, be really happy about that stuff because there will be there will be blood <laughs> and um, you're going to have to be able to deal with that too. Yeah, oh, that really resonated what you said about taking a minute before you react because I'm very guilty of writing quite a snappy email when I'm freaking out and I know it's just this like bodily reaction and I sometimes just need to take a minute don't you and sometimes you need to write the email just don't send it yes just don't send it (laughs) um so just lastly I wanted to ask you what you're looking forward to this year in 2019 if it is the year of anything for you or just what you're looking forward to can be anything well, I'm writing another book. Yes. Uh, I don't so. have, I'm not ready to announce the, the title yet, but it will be announced soonish. Uh, but it is going to be a manual for, for saying no. So I'm going to, 2019 is going to be very similar to 2018 for me, which is spend as much time as I can in my new hometown, be as warm as possible, write another book on a relatively short deadline, uh, do some vacations with my husband because he has been somewhat neglected over the last couple of years on my, my short deadlines. So we're going to go to Jazz Fest, New Orleans, um, and uh, and have a lot of friends come visit. We've, we've got people, you know, so what's your, what's your March looking like? Uh, because they're getting very cold in New York. I bet they want to come visit. And um, I'm really hoping, although I also like to manage my own expectations, but I'm hoping that there will be some news on the political front uh, for America that will make 2019 better than 2018 was. I'm hoping that we'll have a little bit of a change of pace. So yes. I'm looking forward and toward that as I write my manifesto on saying no. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, your book couldn't be more needed in this time of political craziness. It does seem like I had my finger on the pulse. Yes. <laughs> Um, so that's crazy that you've written a book a year then. Yeah, the first one came out in um, December of 2015. So wow. we are now three years and four books, plus the Get Your Shit Together journal, oh, which cool. in itself is a tidy little decluttering manual. Um, and a few people brought their copies for me to sign last night at my event. So I thought, oh, great, the journal has made its way. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for speaking to me. This Absolutely. is like a once in a lifetime that you're in London and we could do it. So Indeed, I've only you. been to London <laughs> three times in my entire life. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we got to do it in person. Thanks.